Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL. Paulus Fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. NFL free agency is all but over, even after just five days. And what a week it was. And and given that people are inside and we're getting real excited about the offseason here and the draft and free agency, we're trying to pump out as many shows as possible just to give you something to listen to as you're cooped up in there. So we're going to do a seven-round mock draft today, and it's it has one very specific twist. So about a month ago off the air, Paul and I were talking about Joe Burrow and whether or not he there's a chance he becomes a Miami Dolphin. And I was very adamant that I didn't want to do a show about trading up for Joe Burrow. So we made a deal that if we got to mid-March and we started hearing a few more whispers about the Dolphins and Joe Burrow, then we would do a specific mock draft show and start talking about it a little bit more. So that's what we're going to do. And there is some method to this here. I mean, you look at uh, Jeff Darlington from NFL Network was with South Florida for a long time, said, quote, the Dolphins love Joe Burrow. They really do. Todd McShay said on ESPN, the Dolphins love Joe Burrow. And I know that for a fact. And on Joe Burrow's end, the greatest endorsement he's made is that he's just two hours from home. And typically, and, and previously, a lot of these number one overall picks have just gushed at the possibility about being the number one overall pick. Not the case with Joe Burrow so much. Not to say he has to say that, but that's where we are now. So this mock draft is based on the Dolphins trading up from five to one. The specific compensation for that, the Dolphins get the number one pick. 
Bengals get pick five and 18 in this draft, as well as a first and second rounder in the 2021 draft. So a lot of compensation. We feel that that might even be a little bit more than what is being talked about out there. So, Paul, I've set this up uh, big time here. I'm going to throw it to you for two questions. Number one, what percentage chance do you think the Dolphins end up? Or, or excuse me, question one, what percent chance do you think the Dolphins pick up the phone and call the Bengals with a realistic trade offer like this? And number two, what percent chance do you think the Dolphins and Bengals actually follow through on a trade that nets the Dolphins Joe Burrow? I wouldn't be shocked if the Dolphins have already poked, poked the Bengals with a stick a little bit on this, just to get a sense. So I'd say there's probably like a 95% chance they pick up the phone. Uh, as far as get a deal done, as it stands right now, 25%, but I think there's a few factors that could influence that. Got it. I w- I'm not too far off on that. I, I, I was going to say 90%, uh, anywhere between 90 and 100%, um, I, I think would work. Uh, as far as percent chance that it actually gets done, I was going to say 15 to 20% somewhere in that range, just because at the quarterback position, number one overall pick, it's hard to facilitate a trade down because, man, oh, man, if, if the Bengals, <laughs> if Joe Burrow turns out to be that type of player, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the Bengals moving forward. So for both of us, number one, Joe Burrow is that pick. And to dig a little bit deeper into that. And a couple of things that stuck out to me is when the Colts drafted Andrew Luck, number one in 2012, they were coming off a two and 14 season. They had just lost Peyton Manning. They had Curtis Painter, a quarterback, but the following year from 2012 to 2014, they were an 11 win football team. And in 2014, they almost got to the Super Bowl. They lost to the AFC championship game. And Joe Burrow, you can make a point, Paul, when you take everything into account with his college football season last year, that he might have been the best, that, that he might be the best overall prospect to come out since Andrew Luck in 2012. You absolutely can. I mean, he's, he's a guy that even before he had this big season, I, I was staring at, I think last July or August was the first time I brought him up on this show. And, and in reality, he's a guy that, who's already left the team close to home to go somewhere where he wanted to win. Um, He's a guy that didn't grow up a fan of the local teams. He grew up a Drew Brees fan, fan of the New Orleans Saints. So it's, it's not like he's looking to go to his hometown team just because they happen to be in the same state as him. And I got news for you. He's going to make the money to fly his dad down to watch any game he wants to, no matter where he ends up. But yeah, no, it's, he absolutely is a smart player. And that is one of the big things that you can see as a pattern that Chris Greer and Brian Flores are chasing this offseason. intelligent players. And another thing that sticks out to me as far as Burrow and obviously he's a fit on the team because he's a quarterback, but I'm not saying the dolphins are in win now mode. I mean, furthest thing from that, but the players that they signed this offseason, uh, Byron Jones, Emmanuel Agba, Shaq Lawson, Eric Flowers, they're all in that 25 to 27-year-old range. And you got a lot of good players in that range, too. Byron Jones is going to be you know, 28 here in, in week two of the NFL season. Xavier Howard's you know, 27 and a half. So my point is, if you draft Tua or Jordan Love, you might be talking about uh, 
2021 and Byron Jones being 29 and Xavier Howard being 28, before you can even start talking about competing, where with Joe Burrow, you may be able to hit the ground running and have this solid three-year window where if things click, the sky's the limit. Absolutely. It's, you look at what the Dolphins have done this offseason. And I'll say the Dolphins aren't in win-now mode. Brian Flores is always in win-now mode every week. He, he wants to win. He wants to win now, and, and he's going to do everything he can to do that. But they're doing that without sacrificing the future, and they've rebuilt this team in such a way. One of the arguments I've heard about moving up is the Dolphins have too many needs. And I know we're going to get, get to the rest of our picks here, but with the picks that Miami has, without making a single additional trade, by the end of the draft, I'm literally not even looking for needs. And I'm like, eh, I like this guy because the Dolphins' needs are, are, are pretty filled at, at this point. And you're, you're basically just tweaking, improving, taking a chance on somebody because you can, not because you have to. Yeah, well said. And as far as, as this is concerned, if, if the Dolphins end up with Joe Burrow, yeah, they have other needs. And we're going to address some of these needs here in this mock draft, too. But if they land Joe Burrow at that number one pick, then I'm willing to live at being a little thin at free safety. I'm willing to live with Jordan Howard at running back, uh, not being great at right guard. I Because when you look at the rest of the, of the league, it's very you, you don't see a team with pro bowlers stacked at every single position. So I, I think the pros significantly outweigh the cons, and I think we're on the same page on that. So, Paul, we both took Joe Burrow number one. The Dolphins then don't have the number 18 pick because of this trade. So the next time they pick, they also have still have a first-rounder in this scenario at 26. I got them their left tackle, uh, Boise State's Ezra Cleveland. Josh Jones was off the board. In fact, there were six offensive tackles off the board at this point. So you're starting to go down to OT7. But I like Ezra Cleveland a lot. I think he's every bit of first rounder. And on my overall Dolphins board, which I'm going to unveil here in the upcoming weeks, I had him as the 17th guy. So he played with turf toe all year and still in the final five games of the season, allowed zero sacks and two pressures. He's a country boy who's also a very good athlete. He's six foot six, 315 pounds, and showed how good of an athlete he was at the combine. Ran a 4.940. Might be able to move inside to guard in in the off chance that left tackle doesn't doesn't work itself out. So he does have have some positional versatility. Will start somewhere on the offensive line. Yeah, and I I, I had a choice to make. I, I I still don't have a first round grade on Ezra Cleveland. I I thought about it. Austin Jackson was still on the board. All the other left tackles were off the board for me, unfortunately, at 26. Um, but I went ahead and I went at the safety position. Austin Jackson, just too much of a risk for me, too sloppy, too streetball-ish. I mean, it, it, you watch CK put out a video of him doing a spin move at offensive tackle to go out and try to pick up the, the edge defender, um, which was very intriguing to me, something I'd never seen. But it, it's, he's a hell of an athlete, but he's just too raw for me in this scenario. So I went ahead. I went with Xavier McKinney, the safety out of Alabama. It's immediately plug-and-play starter. Goes back there with Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe and fills that role that, unfortunately, Rashad Jones has been too hurt to fill 
over the last few years, but also allows you to to be able to slide Bobby McCain around in a few scenarios, which I absolutely love. And at pick number 39, this is has caused a lot of good debate when the Dolphins, if they should even take a running back after signing Jordan Howard. I certainly gave them one here. I see five running backs as the cream of the crop. And we get one of them here in J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. The Dolphins snuck him in right before everything was shut down. Had over 2,000 yards, 6.7 yards of carry last year. Elite vision, great patience, a no-nonsense type running back who, unlike a Jonathan Taylor, can also be a big factor in the passing game. Ohio State has, has ingrained him in their passing attack, and he's also a very good blocker. And that's why I don't see them going after Jonathan Taylor, because I can't see two running backs who don't fit in the passing game all that well. Yeah, for me, I went ahead and I grabbed the one thing I felt was missing uh, in the defensive signings, the the same justification I have for why I thought they should sign Cam Wake, and that's Josh Uche out of Mich- Michigan, a guy that we've gushed about since Senior Bowl week on, on the show here. I, I think he adds that elite pass rushing ability that we haven't seen on the Dolphins in a couple of years since Cam Wake left and really can still defend the run if, if it happens to be a run play. But just the way he's able to get to the passer, and you look at what he did in that senior bowl, and Miami's defense now is is just it's, – it's elite after adding McKinney and Josh Uche. And at pick 56, we did our mock draft separately, but we came away with the same player. That's TCU right tackle Lucas Niang. Mammoth right tackle prospect at 6'7", 330 pounds, who probably would have been a first-rounder if not for a torn labrum this past year. I like uh, Lance Zerline from NFL.com. I like his comparison of Titus Howard, who the Texans took in the first round last year. So a raw player, big guy. What Brian Flores is going to like about him, too, he only had three penalties in almost 2,000 snaps there at TCU. And it allows Jesse Davis to kick inside to right right guard. And if Niang is not ready, Jesse Davis could possibly stay out there at that right tackle position. Yeah, it's, it's Flores has shown and Chris Greer has shown that what they're trying to get now on the offensive line are peop, are intelligent people movers. Eric Flowers, absolutely a people mover at left guard. Uh, we, we've already talked a little bit about that. You put Niang out at right tackle, he is going to move some bodies out of the way. And as he gets his technique honed a little bit, it's just going to get better from there. I think he's going to be a a lockdown player for for years at that right tackle spot. In the third round, 70th pick overall, I have the Dolphins taking uh, Terrell Burgess from Utah. This is a player I think is flying under the radar a lot. A heady, free safety prospect. Only did it at a real high level for one year at, uh, at excuse me at Utah. Can play man, can play zone, and you're, I'm starting to see a common theme here with my picks, where the draft pick strengthens two positions. So Lucas Niang, you draft him a right tackle, you kick Jesse Davis into right guard there to compete, and at free safety, if Terrell Burgess is up to the task of starting immediately at that at that safety single high spot, then Bobby McCain's able to play a lot more nickel and dime roles which which strengthens two positions there too for me i went cam dantzler and it it may seem like a funny pick given the fact that miami has byron jones and xavian howard and nick needham 
but we've seen over the years you can never have too many good elite cornerbacks. And Cam Dantzler, to me, is a first-round talent that is flying under the radar still at this point. So being able to grab him here in the third round, yeah, he's going to be a backup off the rip. But when you go five defensive backs, he and Needham joining joining the fray in that dime package, it it's a no-brainer for me to to, to get, grab Dantzler, improve that depth, and really have a strong cornerback situation in the past half of the NFL today. So to recap, after the first two days of the draft in, in, in this scenario, we each, we each took five players. Paul, obviously quarterback Joe Burrow, safety Xavier McKinney from Alabama, edge rusher, linebacker Josh Uche from Michigan, Lucas Niang from TCU, and cornerback Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State. My picks were number one, quarterback Joe Burrow at 26, left tackle Ezra Cleveland at 39, running back J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State at 56, right tackle Lucas Niang as well from TCU, and at 70 in the third round, free safety Terrell Burgess from Utah. So now we go into day three of the draft. No projected trade-ups here other than the Joe Burrow one. Um, And I came away with a value pick there at the end of the fourth round, Syracuse outside linebacker Alton Robinson. The Dolphins have been trying to get bigger along the edges with these these oversized three, four outside linebacker types. They signed Shaq Lawson. They signed Emmanuel Ogba. Now they come back with Alton Robinson. Similar prospect to Jalen Ferguson last year, uh, who was drafted in the third round for the Ravens and is currently starting. He's a versatile edge player. Not the most explosive guy, but very productive. When the lights didn't have a great senior bowl week, but when the lights were turned on during the game, he came away with two sacks. I went ahead and grabbed Jack Driscoll, a guy we both grabbed in our previous mock draft. He's a guy that can come in, play left or right tackle, is better than anything Miami has on the roster at left tackle today, even though I don't think he's one of those elite left tackles right now that that we see go off the board in the first round. I don't see a huge difference between him and and some of the left tackles that are going to go between the top five and, and the fourth round. He's a guy that can come in and be versatile for you. Doesn't preclude you from getting a left tackle where you can, which I do think in this scenario, if Miami trades up for Burrow, they may make a move for Trent Williams. But Jack Driscoll gives you offensive line flexibility, and he can actually play the interior as well. So you've got a lot of options when it comes to grabbing a guy like that in the fourth round, and he can start at a lot of positions for you. Going down to the fifth round, the Dolphins have three picks in this round, one in the sixth, and then three more in the seventh. So we've got a lot of drafting here still to do. I went with, and it's a, it's a pick I expect to be bashed, and, and Paul made some smart-ass comments before uh, we went on the air here about uh, me liking the punters. And I gave them the best one in the draft, and that's Braden Mann from Texas A&M. I look at Matt Hawk. Last year, he was 20, he was 21st in net, 21st in average. He was worse the year before that. And there have just been too many games where Matt Hawk will just shank a punt and it'll completely ruin the field position. We see that seen that three or four games every, every year over the last two or three years. I'm tired of it. And Braden Mann has a career average of just under 49 yards a punt. And only one punter in the NFL can can say the same thing and that's Washington Redskins punter Tress Way uh, and 
54% of his punts went over 50 yards. So this is somebody who immediately flips the field position and I think is worth every bit of the 153rd pick in the draft. I'm pretty sure you'd grab a punter or a kicker if we had Pete Soyanovich and Reggie Roby back there. Uh, I'm you just bet. learning that that's a theme. You, you, you Kicker every year, punter every year. Uh, nah, just in, in all seriousness, I mean, I, I wouldn't be averse to an upgrade a punter, especially given the number of, of draft picks Miami has. So I, I, I don't hate the pick. For me, I, I went ahead and, and grabbed a running back here. I went with Josh Kelly out of UCLA. He ran a 4.49 at the Combine. And he is a fantastic fit for that Chan Gailey style of offense. He'll see the field right away in a rotation with Jordan Howard. And he's a guy that makes people miss, but he's, he's got a short squat, powerful frame at 5'11", 220. So it, it's, he's an exciting guy. If you get a chance, go out and watch him to our listeners out there if you haven't already. He's somebody that can come in and impact the running game and, and catch some passes out of the backfield. With my second fifth-round pick, I went with a versatile player from Oregon, a very productive college football player, Calvin Throckmorton. 6'5", 317 pounds, kind of a guy without a position right now, but has, all, has played all five offensive line positions at Oregon. He worked out at right tackle at the Combine, but it did not go well for him. He was one of the worst athletes there. But given his versatility, might be able to move inside to center. That's going to mask that a little bit more. In a worst-case scenario, I think you've got a pretty good backup with this guy. You do. And and it's funny. I was eyeballing Throckmorton, and he went off the board one pick before uh, I, I picked here. But Zach Shackelford, uh, who can play some guard, he's listed as a center uh, out of Texas. He is a big center that, that I think can develop over time. So if you're not able to re-sign Karras or Karras doesn't work out since he's just on that one-year contract, you're grabbing that center that, that can help you down the stretch. And I think he's going to be a lot better player than his draft position based on the video that I've watched of him uh, out of Texas. And with the final fifth-round pick, I went with uh, Breverian Roy from Baylor. He was a surprisingly not invited to the NFL draft combine, but he had a great East West uh, shrine week. He can fill that zero technique, nose tackle type of role at six and one, kind of that Bo Allen, Mike Pennell type of guy who may only play 20 or 25 snaps a game for you, but is going to be able to add some girth in the middle of that defensive line. Yeah, I went ahead. I added a little more girth in the middle of the offensive line with my last fifth-round pick. I went with Tremaine Ankrum, the guard out of te- Clemson. He's a little power people mover. Uh, ran decently at 5-2-1 at the combine, but 6-2-3-14 adds to that power profile along the offensive line. Will immediately be in competition with Jesse Davis for that right guard spot based on the way that we, we've worked out this draft as it goes so far. And again, the theme of improving the offensive line, that's the biggest need for Miami if they if they get their quarterback, is improving the offensive line. Going down into the sixth round, the Dolphins have one draft pick, 185th overall. I went with LSU tight end Stephen Sullivan. He fits really nicely as that third tight end, all-around team player type of guy. The big question is why wasn't he able to beat out uh, Thaddeus Moss, who is much worse of an athlete than him at down there in Louisiana. But I, I think if yeah. you're looking for somebody who can who can get in there and, and do and, and contribute there, 
as a backup, I, I think Sullivan really does fit the bill. Maybe he pushes Durham Smythe for that second tight end spot. Yeah, Sullivan's a guy you and I both like. And it, it's funny you bring up Thaddeus Moss. Um, um, I went tight end as well. I flirted with the idea of going Thaddeus Moss. I just couldn't convince myself that he's going to be available there in the sixth. He's a weird enigma right now as far as the draft goes because you'll see him going anywhere from the third round as the second tight end overall to the seventh round in a lot of mock drafts. And and I, I can't make up my own mind on where, where Thaddeus Moss is going to go. So it, it's, I don't know if part of it was his chemistry with Burrow or what it was, but again, it, it, it's, and with us drafting Burrow, I did flirt with the idea, but at the end of the day, I went to my old standby at tight end here, somebody I, I just really, really like, and I think fits the bill perfectly to be a one-two punch. Um, in Miami right now, and that that's Colby Parkinson at tight end, a guy we've talked about extensively on the show so far. Six seven, he's not the fastest guy on the field, but he uses his body so well. You can see his basketball background when he boxes out, and when you've got a six seven frame boxing out any defensive back to be able to be the only one that has access to the ball, they're not going to go over you to get the ball without a penalty, and, and he is a red zone monster. So you go that two tight end set with him out there on the field in, in the red zone, oh, it's going to be just absolutely dirty and allow Joe Burrow to, to, to really rack up a few touchdowns once they get inside the 20. Going down to the seventh round, Dolphins have three picks, 227, 246, and 251. My first one here at 227 is a Utah cornerback, a Javelin a Guidry. He's a, an underclassman, 5'9", 190 pounds, Put up some unreal numbers at the combine. Uh, ran a four-two-nine. Also put up a twenty-one on the bench too. The downfall of it, he's not a very good football player right now. So, but as far as uh, Brian Flores is concerned, you know, if it, we saw last year with some of the the guys that were picked up off the street, the Nate Brookses, the Lyndon Stevens, Tay Hayes. If you get a player like this and he's a moldable piece of piece of clay and he has the physical characteristics. Brian Flores is willing to work with the guy as long as he works hard enough. So that's, that's my first seventh round pick. For, for my first seventh round pick, I went ahead and I actually grabbed the guy I grabbed in, in my last mock draft. I, I hate doing that, but again, Chris Orr out of Wisconsin is, is a switchblade at linebacker that you can, you can throw out and pass coverage, but also has the speed and ability to rush the passer. And, and, Flora, and I think he could be a, a, an absolute monster on special teams as well. So we, we've seen Flores likes these type of guys, and I think he's going to be a great fit for Miami. And I went cornerback again at 246 with some bloodlines here. Uh, Javaris Davis from Auburn. He was a last-minute invite to Senior Bowl week. Turned out to be one of the best cornerbacks there. Uh, has two inter- had two interceptions every year for four years, so has some playmaking skills too. Also, he is the cousin of uh, Vontae and Vernon Davis, so has the bloodlines. Hopefully, he doesn't have uh, Vontae's propensity to call grandmama or, or quit during the middle of a game, <laughs> but uh, he, he is somebody with, with some traits as well. I went ahead and I grabbed a player out of the U. I grabbed pass rusher, edge defender, Trayvon Hill with my second seventh round pick again, adding to Miami's ability to get to the quarterback. He ran a four, eight, nine at the combine and 
he can really come off the edge in pass rush situations. So again, he's got to be a little bit of a role player right off the rip based on what Miami has on the roster now after, after free agency, but he's too talented here to pass up in the seventh round. He's been falling a lot and, you know, he's supposed to be a second or third round pick at one point, And now with, with a poor off season might end up getting to this spot. That would, that would be certainly interesting. My final pick here is going to be running back uh, Patrick Taylor out of Memphis. We talked about him a little bit on our running back show. Uh, Tony Pauline was talking about him as a, as a, having a David Johnson look to him. And, and I think that's real accurate. He might start out the year on PUP, which might force him down to this spot. Wasn't incredibly productive at Memphis, but is somebody with, with the, the, the size and, and, and the power to justify this pick, even if he's not going to contribute a whole lot in the first season. Man, David Johnson, like build, huh? Maybe we can trade him for uh, DeAndre Hopkins, a second and a fourth, if, if that's the case. Uh, stranger things have happened. Uh, I went ahead, I grabbed another edge defender here, Joe Gaziano out of Northwestern. You watch his tape, the guy has some upside, and again, it's it's low risk, low reward. I think based on both of our drafts, it, it's uh, Taco Bell and uh, Charles Harris will be, will be out the door, which uh, I'm okay with. It, they didn't show enough last year to, to be able to justify, and I'd rather take the upside of a Joe Gaziano at this point. So that concludes our Joe Burrow-based mock draft here. And let's go through the picks here again. First, Paul, first-round quarterback, Joe Burrow, and then safety, Xavier McKinney out of Alabama. Second round, edge rusher, Josh Uche out of Michigan, and Lucas Niang out of TCU, the offensive tackle. 70th in the third round, cornerback Cameron Dantzler out of Mississippi State. Fourth round, offensive tackle Jack Driscoll out of Auburn. With the fifth round picks, went with running back Josh Kelly from UCLA, center Zach Shackelford from Texas, and guard Tremaine Ankrum from Clemson. Sixth round, tight end Colby Parkinson from Stanford. And then in the seventh round, linebacker Chris Orr from Wisconsin, edge rusher Trayvon Hill from Miami, and edge rusher Joe Gaziana from Northwestern. My picks. First round, quarterback Joe Burrow, LSU. Ezra Cleveland, the tackle from Boise State. Second round, went with the running back from J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. Also went in the second round with a tackle, Lucas Niang out of TCU. Third round, safety, Terrell Burgess from Utah. Fourth round, Alton Robinson, the edge rusher from Syracuse. Fifth round picks, punter Braden Mann from Texas A&M. Center, Calvin Throckmorton from Oregon. And Braverian Roy the defensive tackle from Baylor. Sixth round, tight end from LSU, Stephen Sullivan. And then with my seventh round picks, I got two cornerbacks, one Javelin Guidry from Utah, Javaris Davis, the cousin of Ante Davis from Auburn. And finally, as one of the last picks of the draft, running back Patrick Taylor from Memphis. So, Paul, taking a look at free agency in the draft, quite a different look from uh, 2019 here. Yeah, and I think we expected that. Once once we knew they were going to have 12 to 14 draft picks and, you know, nearly 100 million in cap space, we knew that there was going to be we're going to go with some upgrades uh, across the board. And I really based on either of our drafts, think Miami could be in a position to make the push this upcoming year given these drafts as opposed to to being 
you know, kicking the can down the road for being able to make the push. And they're not sacrificing the future to do so, which that is what I want. I, I want a consistent, dominant winner as we move forward here. It's, it's, I've been a Dolphins fan for 40 years now. It'll be 41 next Friday. And it, it's very much a situation where I want to see them be competitive. And this is either of our rosters that we ended up with here. You add that to the free agency bit. And these are teams that can come out and compete. And and that's what I love. Yeah. And Joe Burrow, again, if, if the Dolphins are able to pull it off, regardless of the draft picks that it costs, you're talking about a team that might hit the ground running a lot quicker than if they draft uh, Jordan Love or Tua, because we might be talking about quarterbacks that that are, at best case scenario, are ready to take off in 2021, probably even later than that. So that's going to do it yeah, for a break. One thing I just want to add before we wrap up here is, you know, there's a couple of things that, that can really factor into to improving that percentage of a chance to get Joe Burrow. For one, Chris Greer, Brian Flores, use one of your video conference calls on Joe Burrow if you can. Show him not only what you've done, which we know he knows about because he's liking what Miami's doing as far as selecting players, um, if you look out on Twitter. Show him what the Bengals have done with their th- three big names they've added. That's it. you know. And, and show, show him a little bit of your draft plan. Tell him how you plan to use him and build around him. He's a guy that wants to be competitive. He wants a team that's doing the win now things. And if you can get him on board with wanting to come to Miami and against what the Bengals are doing, it gets a whole lot easier to do the things that you want to do because the Bengals at the end of the day don't have enough draft ammunition to fill their needs. They don't have enough cap space to fill their needs. And you're basically going to try to get the Bengals in a position where they're trying to sell Joe Burrow something he doesn't want. And if you can do that, that improves that chance of going up to get this guy. Yeah, and for our listeners too, you know, Paul and I have have said at the beginning that what do I put the chance at of the Dolphins actually getting Burrow? I put it at 15%. Paul was up in that 25% rate. So we think the odds are very, very strong this isn't going to happen. But what a lot of people are saying out there in the Dolphins community is that, well, we have so many other needs. Well, we showed that you could trade up, give up more than what's being projected, and you can still fill a lot of these holes here in the 2020 NFL draft. And that's going to do it for our breakdown of our seven-round Joe Burrow-based mock draft with the projected trade-up. I'm Brian Cat NFL, Paulus Fanatic underscore pick. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL and Paulus Fanatic underscore pick. I think I said that already, but um, anyway, Paul, we can edit that out or not. I don't care. Uh, it's so nice. If it's you got to say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. Fun times ahead here. Hopefully, this is um, this this is causing a very good distraction here for our listeners out there. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.